this presentation consists of the three projects that I'm working on. I mean, one of them is under review um, in one of the journals, and uh, two are kind of getting ready to go under. No, one is under review, one is getting ready to be submitted, and um, one is really work in progress, so I'll be very uh, happy for any input. So the the marriage partner preferences is the one under review, and the low-income, and I'd like um, any input comments. It's, it's really work in progress very much. So I just thought I'd start saying a few words about why should we in, be interested at all in marriage prospects and uh, the relationship between marriage prospects and earning power. And uh, I mean, there are broader theoretical reasons. Changes in preferences for partners' earning power have been linked to overall propensity to form long-term partnerships uh, across the industrialized world, which in turn have uh, important demographic implications. And uh, many of you in, in Japanese context have come across the literature probably which blames the women's better education, broader participation in the labor market, better incomes, the uh, narrowing gender gap in wages between men and women to the sort of uh, later and fewer marriages in contemporary Japan. So this is one of the examples. And uh, of course also the way people sort themselves out into marriages has uh, implication by income and education affects social inequality and potentially social mobility. And so it has implications for both current generations and future generations because it affects the well-being of current, uh, the wealth of current households, and, and which are the households where the current children are growing up, which is likely to affect the children's um, well-being. So there are two main theories, which uh, two theoretical frameworks, which deal with the relationship. Uh, uh, with the question how earning power is likely to be affecting individual uh, marriageability. And one is this specialization theory of marriage, and most often associated with the name of Gary Becker, although it was originally proposed, I think, by a sociologist before him. And the marriage models based on specialization predict positive sorting on complementary traits and negative sorting on traits that are substitutes in the marital union, arguing that in this way the aggregate output of a given couple is maximized. And essentially, Becker seems, uh, sees incomes as substitutes and expects higher income individuals to marry lower income individuals and specialize uh, in the marital union. And uh, if men and women differ only on market wage rates, and Becker expects you know, the, this process not to be affected by gender. But in reality, he then notes that women tend to invest themselves into household and childcare, and men tend to be more invested in the labor market. So in reality, he expects women uh, to specialize on housework, to continue specializing on housework within marriages, and while men continue uh, to choose to be breadwinners, because they're better suited for that type of specialization. The alternative uh, model is the model which suggests that collaboration is a better basis uh, for a marital union. And collaborative model, and this is, was proposed and associated with the uh, uh, Oppenheimer. Um, and collaborative model maintains that in modern industrialized countries where labor markets are characterized by high turnover and nuclear families are the dominant family form, basing a marriage on specialization is a very risky strategy because you essentially have one person who is the main breadwinner and he could get sick, he could divorce you, he could lose his job. And uh, if you have a highly, if that person has a highly specialized spouse, who's uh, great at um, doing housework and taking care of the children, but is 
has not worked for a number of years, that could uh, you know, mean that family fortunes turn downwards and the you know, family might have to face poverty or even dissolution. So accordingly, uh, Oppenheimer expects that uh, men and women would prefer marriage partners who can both contribute to family income and uh, contribute their time to housework and uh, taking care of the children. So this model predicts that both men and women will value ability to earn in prospective spouses and also will look for mates uh, who will share household and childcare duties. I actually haven't found a good... Uh, more detailed theoretical prediction. But if you look at empirical studies, you'll also find out that spouses whose uh, earning power is rather similar tend to uh, share the housework better and childcare, the, the time spent on the family more equally than spouses when the, where there's a great inequality in, in wages. Uh, with the caveat that when women earn more than men, some research suggests that they still do more housework. But in Japan, this is a vanishingly tiny share of families where the wives earn more than the husbands, so I'll disregard them here. So if practically spouses are more likely to share uh, household related duties when their earning power is similar, then uh, this model would, will predict sortative mating essentially on the uh, earning power. So why is the Japanese case interesting? Why should we study it on Japan uh, rather than do a big cross-national study or perhaps, you know, maybe there are some other uh, countries? Well, empirically, the findings of research on Japanese marriage uh, patterns seem inconsistent at first glance. Um, most of the research on Japanese marriages so far finds evidence that earning power is an advantage to men, uh, for men in the marriage market and the greatest advantage for women. And the earning power in these studies is measured the studies which measure it within, by income, by um, education, and I think also by um, occupation, occupational prestige scores and so on. So this, these studies would implicitly suggest that uh, in Japan marriages based on specialization prevail. So, uh, and, and not only specialization, but it's a male breadwinner model essentially. However, two recent studies, both done by Setsuya Fukuda at the National Institute of um, Social Security and Population Research, associated high incomes uh, for women with a um, higher likelihood uh, of marriage, in, at least for women in the recent cohorts. And so these studies offer tentative support for collaborative model of marriage. So perhaps Japan is actually a country in transition, a country which is going uh, from the dominance of specialization within marriages to a sort of more typical, more Western pattern, which is not true for all Western countries, but in many Western countries these days we find uh, a sort of uh, marriage by education, by earning power, and explicitly collaborative marriages seem to dominate. And um, that would be actually in line with um, what's what Oppenheimer expected and argued, she was trying to make a link between uh, the labor market, the socioeconomic circumstances in um, socioeconomic environment in a given society, and the type of marriage pattern which would be more uh, uh, attractive to both men and women. And uh, she argued that, uh, as you know, male, uh, she she would argue. So, 
um, as male jobs that in Japan are becoming more in insecure and we have less lifelong uh, employment is kind of becoming a thing of the past even the regular uh, jobs are becoming uh, harder to come by not only for women but also for men the gap uh, in education male and female education is shrinking and um, the gender gap in wages is also um, has been narrowing in Japan. This is exactly the environment in which Oppenheimer would expect more people to start preferring collaborative marriages. So it's, and it also is going to be more difficult for people even to establish the marriages based specifically on the primary, the only breadwinner. Existing research which tries uh, to explain the Japanese circumstances and also there are some studies, uh, uh, one done by ONU in 2003 I think, which do for example five countries comparison and try to explain why in some countries we see more marriages based on specialization and others more marriages based on collaboration. Uh, it uh, links the differences to the social norms, uh, sometimes it's called uh, gender-related social norms, uh, sometimes called gender context, and posits that if you have more gender-equal society, then collaborative marriages are more attractive. And in gender-unequal societies, uh, collaborative marriages are highly unattractive because women expect that they'll have to take, uh, at least for women, because they expect that they'll have to take the double burden of both um, working and contributing to the family financially, as well as uh, doing all the housework and the childcare. Uh, one disadvantage, the drawback of the studies that are published currently is that uh, the explanation seems to be rather static. It kind of almost presents a static picture of uh, societies that some societies are gender equal, some are gender unequal, but we don't, we can't see how we can maybe get from one to another or what would happen if, uh, you know, the environment is going to change or how it uh, how it may be changing. And today I'll argue that Japan may, uh, is a country undergoing a shift in its marriage patterns and will make some tentative suggestions about the mechanisms that may be encouraging the shift um, and factors that may be uh, play a role of obstacles. And I, in that I'll refer both to the normative environment and as well as the socio-economic environment and see how the two can be linked and uh, help us transition. This is a slide actually from the presentation we had two weeks ago. Miho is from directly stolen from her. Uh, I just wanted to show you in just a Japanese context. Many of you have seen it that in 2010, they are estimating, she's estimating that there are 10% of women in their 50s. This is, uh, she was talking about the definition of li lifelong singlehood, and they think do it at age 50. If you haven't married by 50 years, you're sort of doomed. Um, <laughs> the 10% of women and 20% of men in contemporary Japan by uh, age 50 who, I mean, who are facing this lifelong singlehood. And I think, uh, I mean, as interesting is to notice that across the age groups, we see that people are essentially marrying later and later. So maybe there's still a lot of people who are getting married in Japan, but they seem to be finding it, it, it seems to be taking longer to find the right marriage partner. On the other hand, if we look at the Japanese National Fertility Survey, it has documented only a slight decline in the proportion of men and women, at least aged under 35, who state that they intend uh, to marry during their lifetime. And uh, it's close to 90% for both men and women uh, of people state that they uh, are planning to get married and I mean if we look at back at this slide the 30% of people at, uh, of the population who are at 50 haven't managed to fulfill that ambition so uh, today I'll use 
much of the presentation today will be using the um, database from a very large Japanese marriage agency. It's one of the largest Japanese marriage agencies. The data comes from 2006-2007. Um, I have a customer data set with very detailed uh, characteristics, including demographic characteristics, uh, I mean, income, education, all these uh, measures, and a record of about uh, 200,000 of interactions between these customers. And the interactions are essentially people, uh, the customers approaching each other, saying, I'd like to date you, and uh, the reactions, I mean, the responses that uh, they give. In addition, I'll uh, use self-advertising messages from the same agency, and for one, for one of the in one of the I use the Japanese Life Course Panel Survey. Okay, I don't know if you can see I uh, this table. Uh, th these are just the. There are two tables on the. I wanted to show you how the customers of the marriage agency might be different uh, from the ge general population of singles. So I've compared. So these two columns are the characteristics of the marriage agency customers, the education, income, age, marital status, and whether they've had children. And this is the uh, 2005 survey of Japanese singles carried out by the Ministry of, uh, by METI, Ministry of Foreign Trade and Industry. And I think the main, the biggest difference, the important differences that you can see here is that the marriage agency customers, you have better educated people and better earning people are overrepresented. I mean, with earnings, uh, it's more stark. This is actually, this is women. I didn't put it anywhere. And then I have the same graph for men. And the marriage agency customers are also slightly older than this uh, general population of singles. I mean, here they looked at, in both cases, the sample, I think they narrowed the age samples um, uh, in the same way. Uh, these are both people between 20 and 40. Uh, because I was interested in uh, people in their child, uh, when they potentially might be having uh, children, because I thought that this might be slightly different processes in the way people uh, do, uh, people marry and select marriage partners, whether they plan to have children and establish a family or not. And this is men. So, I mean, generally, the patterns are the same for men and women in the sense that uh, better educated, better income people and slightly older people are overrepresented among marriage agency customers. Uh, and I think in the men, the income pattern is, uh, the difference is greater than in case of women. And uh, I've added the popularity measures. This is just how, uh, just the activity on the website. And uh, you can see that uh, women are less active than men, they make less date offers, uh, they receive more date offers than men, which is uh, what would you would expect generally what we know from the research. And women are, so women are less active themselves and they're much bigger. This is just as we would expect. Uh, here are the variables I used, the dependent, uh, so in the analysis of the um, customer activities. So now I'll, I'll show you how, uh, how attractive are men and women are in the marriage market depending on their incomes. The dependent variable is the number of date offers received from members of the opposite sex between December 2006 and December 2007. It's one year, uh, the number of... Uh, offers, dating offers they've received. And for independent variables, I used annual income. And uh, I've used categorical measures of income. 
uh, I've d divided both men and women uh, into five uh, partially overlapping income groups. The income groups overlap partially because of the gender wage gap. Uh, there are very, very few very low-income men and few very high-income women. So on the sort of on the margins, uh, like I have control uh, variables for women earning less than 1 million yen annually, for example, but there were too few men earning that much, so I don't have that category. And respectively, I have uh, men earning more than 8 million yen annually, and again, for women, there were too few people, so I didn't use that. I have above 6 million yen uh, for women. Uh, the education controls are the same for both men and women, and this is just the six categories. The junior high school, which is a compulsory education in Japan, high school education, professional school education, college degree, university degree, and a graduate degree. These are the same for both men and women. Um, and then age, I used continuous uh, variable for age, body mass index, that's a commonly used measure proxy for attractiveness. Marriage history is a binary variable, ever married or not and whether a person has had children in the, from the previous partnership or not. And finally, I had a control for duration of time during which a given customer has been uh, a customer of that agency in the year of interest, because in the data set some people join after December 2006 and some people maybe leave before December 2007. So I'll start with men, and here you will see some low-income men, <laughs> accordingly with the sort of title of the presentation, but also higher-income men. So if you just look very generally, uh, this is just a descriptive, the proportion of date offers received by income compared to the proportion of these men in the sample. And you will see that, uh, so these are offers received by men, so these are women's preferences that we are observing. And you will see that women are actually not terribly realistic. So low-income men, there are many more of them in the sample uh, than there are uh, and up to six, uh, under 6 million. Yen. There are more men, uh, men of such income in the sample than they, uh, and they receive much uh, less date offers that sort of that, than if the date offers were randomly allocated uh, irrespective of the individual income. Um, and the men earning above 6 million yen a year, they're receiving more date offers. This is again sort Sorry, of. Sorry, Katya, do, do they know the income of the potential person? Is it on, on the website? Yes, okay. yes. Yeah. So they know. But they don't know how many are there. So it's not guided, it's not, um, in that sense, the marriage agency data, I think, I mean, it's not um, constrained by the demographic characteristics of a popula population as much. In reality, uh, my preferences are, it's very hard to separate, as you might know, preferences and opportunities, because I might think I prefer men of a certain income, but that's maybe because I never met anyone with higher income or uh, something like that. Here, uh, they have the whole distribution, but they don't see how many are, uh, and they can meet anyone, essentially, in the, in the database. So, the that way, I think we can observe preferences in a much more sort of unadulterated way. This is, I have a, this is a table, but I have actually a nice graph which explains what we see in the table. I, um, so here you just see that, um, I, I think it's easier to see what's going on when I, I'll take you to the graph. Uh, but what you can say, I mean, that in four men, Generally, the higher the income, the more popular they are, uh, as we would expect. Education effects are also having higher education makes men more popular. Uh, being divorced or widowed makes generally makes men less less attractive. 
age, higher age, I mean age effect is non-linear because we have, uh, we have uh, age effect is not non-linear uh, and being older to up to a certain point makes men more attractive and then, then uh, sort of the gains on the every year added uh, recede. But actually I think we're maybe less interested in the age effects in the sample because it's constrained so much. We, we're really looking between 20 and 40 and maybe the age effects are not very strong. Um, having children makes men uh, less attractive. Uh, uh, you know. But I think it's much more interesting. This is uh, the same uh, this is that those models, uh, and using those models, I estimated the predicted number of offers made for typical male customers um, by their and female bidders' income. So what I did here is I told the model, okay, if we have a man um, of, a, of given characteristics, and I set them at the mean uh, or at the mode, depending on whether it was a continuous or a categorical variable, and uh, the only the income varies. So it's if you know uh, these women were meeting uh, exactly the same person, you know, judge uh, in terms of age, education, um, body mass index, uh, their marital history, and the only thing that varied in that candidate uh, was his income. Uh, how what, what would be the predicted number of offers that that uh, person would get? And uh, I think here it's, it's quite obvious that women essentially, so these are women's in income categories and uh, these are uh, male income categories, but the pattern for women is, it's pretty similar across, doesn't vary very much with female income. They don't, women, even when they themselves earn very little, they don't want to marry men who earn little. They, they're quite ambitious. Higher earning women are more ambitious, they're sort of even, uh, more aim for better earning men, but the pattern is generally the same across the income categories. Uh, women always prefer higher earning men. So here, I mean, we, we seem to see evidence for specialization. Women want to maximize their partner's uh, income, if, if that's at all possible. Uh, what about the men? How do, uh, what are men's preferences? What do men uh, in different income uh, groups would prefer. So these are the same. Now we'll, you'll see the same uh, two graphs on the table, but uh, in respect of men. So here the date offers received by women. And you see men actually are much, uh, they're much more realistic. So uh, in some ways, uh, they, they are, the date offers received uh, by women are pretty close to their distribution. Uh, but, um, and, and uh, lower income, women seem to be getting somewhat more dates and high income women seem to be getting somewhat less dates. So if we just look, compare this graph with the similar graph that we had for men, we would just say yes, in Japan marriages are still generally, you know, the preference are generally driven by specialization. Women want higher income men. Men don't really care very much about female income, but if, uh, I mean, they're quite happy to get lower income women. However, when we look at this table, we actually notice that for women, income is income effects are mostly significant. And um, for many categories of men, uh, actually not sure, I thought that this is supposed to be significant as well, I think this is a typo. And for most categories of men, uh, higher income, the, the base category here is women earning below 1 million uh, yen a year. And for most male income groups, 
women who earn more than that are more attractive than the lowest income women. So they actually do seem to care for female income. Uh, education, once we control for income education effects uh, for women or not, if we take income out, education effects uh, become significant actually. But uh, uh, if we, if we uh, have income and education becomes uh, less important, only for the higher income men, uh, education effects are quite significant still. For some low income groups, but the, here the significance level uh, with for lower income men, very graduate degrees uh, seems to become a disadvantage, are a disadvantage uh, in a partner. And the rest of the effects are as we expect. Uh, it's uh, having a marital history is a disadvantage, having children is a disadvantage. Uh, looks are more important for men than for women. Uh, and higher income men are actually bigger. There are more significant effects, they care more maybe because they think they can pick and choose more. And I think this, this, uh, this is, I think, the most interesting graph um, from this study, uh, um, because I think we can see two distinct patterns. These are the men, uh, one group is men earning less than six million yen annually, and these men seem to actually, they don't really like uh, the lowest earning women. Uh, they do, all the men, if you sort of look at the respective, what the respective categories mean, uh, none of the men really displays a strong preference for women who earn more than them. Uh, although for high income uh, male categories it's hard to establish because we just don't have enough high income women to look what's going on. But uh, women, men earning less than six million yen a year, they uh, most prefer women who earn roughly what they themselves earn or earn a little bit less than they themselves do. But men uh, earning less than six million yen a year, the preferences, if you look at the distribution by female income, the shape is inverse U shape, so they seem to, they don't really like very low earning women, and they don't want women who earn more than them, uh, they themselves do, but they would like uh, to marry someone, uh, they try to approach someone who is able to contribute to family finances, and substantially given their own income. And if we look at higher income men, these about six million, and there's sort of a transition going on. Uh, they 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 like they they seem to uh, they just like women who earn like uh, as close to them as possible. And uh, if, I mean, the closer to them, the more they prefer them. So these are men earning six to eight million yen, and these are women earning above six million yen. And they are the most, their most preferred choice. Everybody else is less, and the less those women earn, the less preferred they are. And finally, for men above eight million yen, this, we actually observe a sort of a U shape, um, which suggests that. These men as well, they would like women who are reasonably close to, to them in income. We don't know, maybe they would like women with the same income, there are just not very many of those to go around. Um, and uh, at a certain point, if they can't go uh, get women who are reasonably close, at a certain point they prefer than women who don't earn anything. So for these men, they might be having a little bit of a backup strategy, saying that, okay, if I can't find a partner, an attractive partner who is earning, who will be contributing substantially to the household finances, then actually I'd like someone who is not going to be contributing at all and is going to be taking all the maybe housework burden off me. Uh, quite different from uh, what the lower income men want. 
And uh, another thing that we can see on this graph is that uh, higher income men generally are making much more. The higher the men earn, the more active they are in the marriage market. So you can see all the all the these are the predicted number of uh, date offers they make, and the higher the income in every almost in every income category they're going to be for, for women they're going to be making more date offers. So lower the lower income the men have, uh, the more their partner search strategy seems to be divorced from what women are doing, because women are trying to maximize the partner, uh, partner's income. These, these are rather looking for sort of the, trying the assortative mating or collaborative strategy. And the less active they are, they're sort of quite timid, it seems. And they, uh, so they probably self-censoring. Uh, potentially, they may be doing some self-censoring, thinking, well, uh, I'm not going to be attractive, so maybe I'm not going to do anything this time and try to attract a marriage partner. Um, so this is what's going on if we look at the quantitative picture. This was going on with their partner preferences for um, for uh, so yeah. I should have added a little bit of a conclusion. This is the first stage of the presentation. And the conclusion here is that um, the men and women seem to be actually, Japan seems to be a country in transition because the majority of women seem to be trying to maximize the partner's income, whereas majority of men, men earning less than 6 million yen here, actually majority in the Japanese population, at least when you look at the singles, um, uh, between 20 and 40, and I can take you back to... The one of the graphs here. <coughs> this this one is this one is men. Um, so if you look um, 27 uh, altogether, there'll be I should have uh, it's it's 70 more than 70 percent. This, this is the representative survey. This is the 27 percent, 22 percent, 27 percent again. So that is about 70% uh, of men in the survey of singles uh, earn less than 6 million of yen a year. So the majority of men seem to be actually looking uh, for some type of collaboration, at least when it comes to the financial side of things. Um, in addition, we see that women to be, tend to be overly ambitious uh, in respect of the, of the potential partner's income. Uh, they're what they would like to see in a partner is, I mean, they make much more uh, date offers for high-income men and much less uh, date offers for low-income men that their distribution would expect. So already this sort of, there seems to be quite a, a big difference between male and female preferences and the strategies and the behavior in the marriage market, which would suggest um, that would suggest some difficulties in uh, potentially informing marriages because uh, as it, men would like to collaborate, women would try to maximize and uh, until they reach some kind of compromise they're going to go single essentially. Um, and uh, so we see two parts of population using different uh, different types of uh, marriage strategies in Japan. So Japan may be a country in transition but um, it hasn't quite made the transition yet. And the next two so small um, sections of the presentation, I wanted to talk about what might be sort of spurring. Uh, here, I think we can see what might be spurring the transition. And um, that is that um, 
men don't want to be the sole breadwinners anymore. Uh, they would like to uh, move to the kind of collaborative uh, contribution. And we, Miho Iwasawa, in her two weeks ago, also suggested that there is some evidence that they find um, in their surveys at least uh, unemployed women or women, uh, Frita women, seem to be finding difficulty in finding marriage partners in these days in Japan. Um, but I wanted to explore a bit more uh, the normative and the institutional factors that might be affecting this transition that is taking place in Japan. And to do that, uh, yeah, here is the normative, uh, normative context. This is just a world value survey uh, for 19, between 1990 and 2005, and uh, the answers to the question, both husband and wife should contribute to household income. And the kind of red and yellow, these are disagree, um, and the blue and the gray, these are the, uh, agree. Blue is men agreeing, gray is women agreeing, red is men disagreeing, yellow is women disagreeing. And basically what you see is that women have, until recently, women tended to be more progressive um, in, in that regard, so more women would uh, agree that both men and women should contribute to uh, household income, and uh, more men would disagree with that statement. But actually, the difference in 2005, the views have been essentially overlapping. And um, and uh, the other thing that we can notice is a reversal of a pattern in between 1990 and 2005. In 1990, we see that majority, for both men and women, majority of the population disagreed with the statement. And in 2005, majority for both men and women, close to 60% among both men and women, agree with the statement that uh, both men and women should contribute to household income. So at least in terms of use, we now see that majority of the population seem to choose uh, to, to think that collaborative partnerships in terms, in terms of contributing to household income are a good thing. Uh, so are there obstacles to collaborative marriages? And um, to look at that, I, I thought I'd look at two uh, groups, two population groups, which are likely to fare the worst under the specialization regime. And these are lower income men and higher income women. Because in, in, a, in a society where you have marriages based on specialization and male breadwinner model, lower income men who are going to make bad uh, breadwinners uh, are, going to, are likely to fare worse. And high income women have been demonstrated to do badly, partially because possibly they're not attracted to marriages, partially because maybe they're not attractive themselves because uh, men don't believe that career women are going to make good housekeepers. Um, so, lower income men has uh, promised in the title. How far? Much time. Okay, still have 20 minutes. So, low income men, as we saw earlier, they seem to be keen on collaboration. As um, I was trying to get the, that, if I could get that in, into some uh, panel survey, also they've used by income, but I wasn't able to find the good data. So, if there are any suggestions, um, so. Uh, so men are interested in collaboration, at least in terms of income. So what about the other half of the bargain? So what about contributing to housework and childcare? Are they, so now that they want women to share the breadwinner responsibility, do they want themselves to start sharing the housework responsibility? And um, 
I think uh, it, there seem to be actually institutional constraints to be to for men to be moving in that direction. And there's uh, a lot of research, I mean, uh, by, done by Gender UG and some of it by Mary Brinton, who generally have suggested that work environment has been uh, in, inhospitable to young Japanese people, particularly to young Japanese men, uh, in the past two decades. So what we observe, but. All of this research breaks uh, the kind of job characteristics by age usually. And we observe that younger men have to face longer working hours, at least when they're in regular employment, if we exclude the kind of part-time employed people. They get less training, their jobs are sort of more boring, uh, they have fewer opportunities to secure regular jobs, and they have high unemployment rates. Um, and Japan uh, is actually a bit of an outlier in that regard as well. Uh, although Japan legally subscribes to a 40-hour working week, and if you look at the laws, uh, Japan is quite progressive and on par with a lot of progressive of um, Western countries passing all those resolutions or UN resolutions about working hours and so on. Uh, in reality, the regulations are very lax. There's essentially no enforcement of those laws. And this is, I mean, I chose countries for comparisons purely because of the source. These are the countries they had. Um, and uh, I, want, I would have liked to have more East Asian countries, but at the moment there are two only here, the Japan and South Korea. Uh, this is a percent of employed men in employment, that doesn't, it's not necessarily full-time employment actually, uh, who are working 49 hours a week or more. And uh, compared to all the other Western countries that I included, France, Finland, Norway, Netherlands, Norway, Portugal, Spain, Switzerland, UK. This is all 2004 apart from UK, and uh, which is 2003. And US, uh, Japan has, uh, I mean, Japanese men work a lot, and South Korean men work even more. And uh, I've also, I wanted to see whether there is an income effect, whether, you know, uh, it's, it's the high income men uh, who work a lot, so they can't collaborate in marriage, but they, but they can, you know, be the good breadwinners, and maybe the low income men have to, um, they work less, and uh, perhaps then they can, you know, at least try to use a strategy and advertise themselves um, as good, you know, as sharing the burden and marry me and I'll uh, help you, I, I can cook or whatever. And um, to, I first wanted to see that is actually a uh, marriage agency um, advert like they have uh, self-promotion ads as part of the database and I'll talk a little bit more about self-promotion ads for women and they they had very interesting uh, results but for men they were for low income men they were actually extremely boring uh, those men just said I'm very busy with work and all I do is go to work and come home and uh, you know maybe we can have some nice time on the weekend or I work completely regular hours I don't have time on the weekend but Sometimes Mondays are often. I mean, they, they, there was no attempt there to advertise themselves as uh, being good at uh, anything non-work related. But perhaps that was just performing gender, as we, you know, see from the literature. They're earning not very well, but they want to still, you know, assert their masculinities by showing that they are committed workers, and maybe one day they're going to. And better. And anyway, I mean, uh, so I, I thought I'll use a representative survey, which is Japan Life Course Panel Survey. I only took unmarried men aged 21 to 41, and I look, only looked at uh, unmarried men in regular employment. We already know, again, from the literature that men who don't have regular jobs in Japan uh, 
they face it's very hard for them to uh, to get married I mean the incomes are too low and the jobs are too insecure so I thought well how about men in regular employment they can promise a reasonable income so I mean maybe it's not so high but there's a, a reason at least a certain contribution and this is what I found uh, this is predicted probability of mar working more than 40 hours a week I would have liked to have you know, maybe 50 hours or something, but unfortunately that's the measure that the survey gives us. And uh, I think what's quite interesting that the probability is U-shaped and you are more likely to work long hours if you earn little or if you earn a lot. Uh, and you're less likely to work long hours sort of in the middle of the uh, income distribution. So what this seems to suggest is that uh, there independent of their preferences uh, for you know, the, the way they would like to share housework and child care in their future families. They're actually institutional uh, constraints for, for the men uh, to do so. And uh, I've also done the analysis looking at uh, how income might be related to working irregular hours when you just don't know, maybe you work some weekends and have uh, days off uh, on the weekdays, and male income is linearly and negatively related to working irregular hours. So again, lower income men are more likely to have long working hours and irregular working hours, all of which is probably less compatible with a family. Uh, so, so as we see here, low income, regularly employed men seem to be getting a particularly rough bargain in the labor market, and given the unfavorable work environment and the difficulty of securing regular jobs that is well documented in the literature, that puts that these men in a particularly weak position to negotiate better work-life balance uh, for themselves and uh, to be able to contribute better in their families. And this is reflected, as I already said, in the self-advertising messages in the marriage agency database. So either these men I mean, these men are aware of the situation, so they don't make promises that they couldn't keep, essentially. And uh, now this is another, uh, so how about high-income women? Uh, and with the, uh, here I've, uh, what are their promises and how are they, I mean, are they trying to sort of, uh, are these women trying to push for collaboration? I mean, they have high earning power, do they try to say, look, I'm uh, earning well, uh, perhaps, you know, we could share, we could have really high uh, quality of life and you don't need to earn such long hours, perhaps we could share um, the housework. And I looked at the Lonely house, uh, Heart messages, which I thought were a good data source because they um, give these women very limited space to advertise themselves and the most conceivable demographic characteristics are already included in the data set. So in, in the West, lonely heart messages, they're usually, you know, blonde, uh, beautiful and uh, young or well-learning have, I don't know, uh, property. Um, they don't need to cover those. Uh, that, that, that information is already covered in the data set. So this setup encouraged women to focus on uh, what they believed was most likely to attract suitable partners in a sort of in, in their own characteristics. So they were asked to write about who they are and which kind of family they are looking for um, in those messages. And for high-income women, the work-related themes were very central. Uh, in 141 messages, work was mentioned more than 100 times. And most work-related discussion fell into two categories, uh, discussing or dispelling an image of a career woman 
and negotiating one's plans to continue work after marriage. And these negotiations were often followed by an explanation how they offer the message plans to combine work with family responsibilities. So here are some examples. One uh, woman, a doctor earning 8 million yen a year, says, at work I tend to be seen as a strong person, however I'm not really like that, I wish to meet a man whom I can rely upon. Uh, Another woman, the CEO, says, at work people think I'm a leader, but in reality I'm a type who prefers to follow, so I'm not really a strong person, and I've managed to, you know, get into the less, it's I think less than 1% among Japanese single women earn that much. So they got on the top of female sort of income distribution by being not very strong people. Um, I would like to continue working after marriage, but when I phrase it like that, I probably give an impression of being like a career woman, yet I do not think that I am as hard as the image suggests. Another researcher working in a boutique investment firm. Uh, One sort of concession that these women give to their own careers, they do stress that they would like to continue working. Most of these women say, uh, at least they don't want to compromise that, they say, I would like to continue working even if I marry and even if our family gets bigger, so I'd like to meet someone who would not feel aversion to that. I would be very grateful if a man felt he would like to encourage me. I would like to continue working, another woman saying, uh, in one way or another, but I do not want to use this as a pretext of being negligent. So they will be uh, perfect everywhere. And they stress that they will get their priorities right, although they will continue working. Um, they say, like, uh, this doctor making more than 9 million yen annually, I'm a doctor working in a hospital in Chiba Prefecture. At the moment, I'm very busy with work, but after marriage, I will make the family my priority. I'm happy, I'm happy to adjust my work to our family circumstances. They point out their flexibility. Uh, so I've managed to prepare my work situation so I can reduce or increase my working hours depending on our family circumstances. Uh, or another, the CEO again says, I run a company and I'm happy to adjust my work the way we agree once we discuss it together. And they hope for understanding from career men, uh, but as you'll see, they don't hope uh, for help, actually. I have time only on weekends, uh, uh, but on weekday and on weekdays I'm very busy. I hope we will respect each other's work. I dream we will live together, sometimes uh, in a friendly rivalry. Uh, but very few women voice the need to help with housework and childcare. There were only three cases out of this 141 women who say, I'd like to continue working after marriage, so I hope to meet someone who would help with housework and childcare. That uh, 31 year when making Um, None of the women described their career experiences in a positive light, and this is quite, I mean, I didn't include this here, but this is quite different from high-income men. Uh, If you look at their self-advertising messages, it's quite common to come across something. As a CEO of a company, I've had many valuable experiences, and I'm a serious, responsible person. Um, So they, they... it's quite common for a man to say that uh, their career experiences uh, benefited them as people. Uh, but women do not try to cast, also do not try to cast their income in a positive light. They don't try to point out that they would contribute substantially to the family and remove a lot of the stress of you know being the main main breadwinner. So. The conclusion from these two studies, looking at specifically at these two populations, the low-income men and the high-income women, is that um, uh, although 
the recent socioeconomic changes that the Japanese society has gone through have meant that specialization model of marriage has become less viable, as, as we know. I mean, male uh, labor market and environment has deteriorated substantially. And uh, indeed, the environment in contemporary Japan is such that Oppenheimer would expect marriages based on specialization to start going out of fashion. This process is taking is they is probably taking is taking place but it's going rather slowly and uh, in uh, reality uh, when we analyze male and female marriage preferences separately we see that majority of men seem to be moving towards marriages uh, to prefer to move towards marriages based on collaboration while majority of women if at all possible would prefer specialization in marriage at least would prefer men who would earn much more than them and uh, the analysis of low-income men and high-income women uh, would give us uh, an idea why this might be the case. While women have become much better uh, able to share the breadwinner responsibilities, and there are even some women who are able uh, could probably play the role of the main breadwinners, the high-income women still uh, seem to believe that if they want to get married, they have to advertise themselves uh, as being capable house houseworkers and house carers. Um, in in turn, uh, low-income men don't have this pressure uh, and don't seem to think that it will be a useful strategy for them uh, to point out that they uh, would be would be contributing to family in, uh, not only with their incomes but also in other ways, and they may be uh, very realistic about that because if we look at this uh, at the data of uh, how busy they are. Uh, Lower income men, a lot of the low income men actually seem to uh, have to work quite long hours and are probably in a rather weak position in the labor market and are not likely to be able to change that situation uh, dramatically once they form families or perhaps have children. So, thank you very much. Uh,